You're listening to Consolidate That. Ukraine is my motherland. It is now under a savage attack by Russia. Ukraine is shielding Europe and the rest of the civilized world from Putin's barbaric aggression. Ukrainians are brave and effectively fighting back. Let's help. Make a donation to Armed Forces of Ukraine. Link is in the show notes. Hashtag stand with Ukraine. Welcome back to Consolidate That. Uh, Ivan, it's good to see you again. I feel like it's been a couple weeks since we've done a recording, so I'm glad to, to get back into it and uh, really excited about our guest. So I'll, I'll hand it over to you to introduce our guest today. Yeah, today we have uh, the legend of Vichy. <laughs> uh, we have a friend of mine and a colleague, Dr. Dick Gephardt. Dr. Gephardt is a highly accomplished veterinarian and entrepreneur with a strong background in veterinary medicine. As uh, the owner of Mangrove Veterinary Hospital from 2006 to 2011, Dr. Gephardt gained valuable experience in providing high-quality care to animals. In 2013, he co-founded Flowtech, which offers Kanban-style cardboard workflow software tailored for veterinary medicine and adaptable to various industries, which is actually how we met at the Western Conference. You were admiring the SmartFlow and how those two products were somewhat similar. Uh, Dr. Gepper's passion for improving pet care led to the co-founding of Dr. Fossum's Pet Care in 2020, dedicated to providing comprehensive and personalized veterinary services. In 2021, he co-founded National Veterinary Group, fostering collaboration, knowledge sharing, and professional development opportunities for veterinarians. In 2022, Dr. Gephardt found fee analytics for veterinary medicine, focusing on providing valuable financial insights and analytics for the veterinary field. Dr. Gephardt's contributions have made a significant impact in advancing veterinary medicine and enhancing the well-being of animals. And what we don't have captured here is that Dr. Gephardt sold his very first hospital, West LA, to VCA. And uh, I think uh, you it's your fault what's happening with our industry. <laughs> you started, you started uh, thanks, thanks, uh, thanks a lot. Yeah, I started it. So so let, let me let me jump in here and I'll give you a little background. I'm a 60, 1967 graduate, University of Minnesota. Made my way to California. <clears throat> was fortunate enough to buy a practice in Westwood Village in 1968. I was 25 at the time. And then that that practice, uh, I, I purchased it for seventeen thousand on terms, if you can believe that. Nice. Uh, the veterinarian was dead for six months, so it was quite the opportunity. But I went through all the card files, and uh, Westwood Village is between Santa Monica and Bel Air and Beverly Hills, and it's a very affluent area of uh, of Los Angeles. And you know, I went through the card file in that practice, and the Sinatras were clients, the Gabors were clients, so it just had a fantastic clientele. And uh, so it was an opportunity. And <clears throat> so that, that practice uh, became uh, West Los Angeles Veterinary Medical Group. So about 1972, I moved the practice to Pulvida and I contracted and partnered with uh, Marty Dennis, who did exotic animals. So at the time, we did like Daktari, Gentleman, Siegfried and Roy, Michael Jackson. Marine world. So we had all these uh, zoo and veterinarians and aquatic, marine aquatic veterinarians. So it was a pretty eclectic practice. It was the largest practice in California and everyone was less than 30 at the time. 
1978, I contracted with two programmers at TRW to develop a computer system for the practice for the West Los Angeles uh, veterinary practice. I own veterinary medical group. Uh, and uh, so we formed the VSI system, ended up having about oh, 400 systems out there. In uh, 1986, uh, Bob Anton, uh, Bob, Art, and Neil were thinking about forming a company uh, called VCA, Veterinary Centers of America, was their thought. And uh, they, uh, they contacted me, and that's after I had built a, uh, a 15,000 square foot facility with a couple elevators, and uh, we had 26 veterinarians at the time. And it was a uh, was one of the larger practices in the country, and so he was interested in purchasing. And I spent 19 years in Los Angeles, and I was looking to leave the city and go to more of a rural environment. So anyway, we sold to uh, we sold to Bob and Art Neal in uh, in 1986, and they took over. And as you know, about five, six years later, they, they went public. I think they probably had 10 practices, so it was really, really a tough go. But that sale was, you know, I, I thought long and hard about it. You know, when I built the, that facility there in, in West L.A., it was, uh, it was very capital intensive. And I knew that veterinary medicine had to have, you know, some, some ability to, to gather capital a lot more readily than what I did. And so I thought it was that time that, uh, you know, someone would take this uh, industry public as, as Bob and Art did. So anyway, that gives you a little background about West LA and VCA ran on our system on that uh, VSI system for 25 years uh, that, that ran the practice. So anyway, that gives you some background. So what was it like? So they came to you and then offered to buy your practice and the corporate wasn't a concept at a time. I mean, you, you were offered to sell the practice, but what was the, like, what was your take on who are these people? They're not veterinarians. Well, I, I spent I spent a lot of time with them, you know, <clears throat> and uh, because it's a big decision, you know, I was very active in veterinary medicine. It was a big decision to go this direction, but I thought it, it, it had to be done. You know, someone had to take the leap. And many times we were, you know, people approached us about doing something. I really enjoyed Bob and we spent a lot of time together and, you know, meeting with uh, a, a different uh, money, Smith Barney, I think we met with, and et cetera. And uh, so it was a real educational opportunity <clears throat> to understand their philosophy and the direction they wanted to go. And uh, so I bought into it. I thought it was, I thought it was needed for the profession. And they did a fantastic job, and they really did. And, uh, and I think even to this day, VSA has done a, a fairly good job in this marketplace as compared to some of the, the other consolidators. So... So what do you think the difference between the successful consult? Well, define the successful, right? Because you could make a lot of money, but successful in the way that the practices that are joining are happy. You've seen many of them now evolve. There's, you know, 50 plus of them. And what do you think makes a good consolidator? And what are those that you don't really have much uh, appreciation? Well, you know, I, th I think, you know, with, with, Bob and Art, they were available. They are always available, to, at least to me, you know. And and I spoke to many veterinarians since then that they were always very approachable and as transparent as they could be. And uh, so I think they did a, a, a fantastic job in that direction. You know, Todd Tams was a was an intern 
at West LA, and then it was a uh, internist there at West Los Angeles, and he became, as you know, their medical director. <clears throat> he contributed a ton to obviously to our profession, and the amount of liquidity that VCA provided is was. I think astronomical, you know, for the, for the profession that they put into this profession. And so I think it was really needed, but I, th I think the biggest problem, well, you know, one advantage they had, they were a public company, so they didn't have to arbitrage pricing as much as some of the other consolidators have to. Okay. And so <clears throat> I think their pricing was pretty reasonable though. You know, many times I dis disagreed with them and uh, the problem with, you know, everyone, including, uh, you know, went to value based pricing, which is not definable, you know, and uh, you know, because all, all values are different and can change from moment to moment, you know, and day to day. And every practice can only deliver, you know, the value depending upon what what they provide there in that practice, you know. And value is always all about client satisfaction. That's what it's about. I think VCA really helped the profession to grow it. You know, NVA started right there uh, on Olympic Boulevard back about the same time, about 10 years after, I think, uh, VCA uh, got started. And that was NBA. But a lot of these practices uh, or a lot of these consolidators and, and, and the beef I have with them is the arbitrage of the, of the pricing, you know, to pay for these practices. They continue to increase fees to the point where, you know, they're not looking at how they can make their practices more progressive, more efficient and, and help the veterinarians to be more productive. And uh I think they've done, a lot of them have done a, a disservice to the profession, actually. But also, I think this presents a, a fantastic opportunity for those that want to remain independent because it's there's just tremendous opportunities out there, you know, at this time because of of how disgruntled I think veterinarians are with, with some of these uh, consolidators. So anyway, that's my take on it. So, Dr. Gabor, something that's interesting, you know, there's a lot of conversation around how to tell your team that they're being sold to a corporate group. And now it's sort of this hurdle that, that a lot of selling practice owners come against because there's a stigma against selling to a group or there's a preconceived notion of what that means. Like, you know, what was that experience like before that was, um, you know, a preconceived notion? When was that, what was that experience like for you and for your team when you talked with them about selling to a new group or to a new idea. But, well, it wasn't, it, it wasn't easy. <laughs> okay. And, you know, there was, there was some pushback, but it wasn't too great, you know, and we stayed on initially there at West Los Angeles. And uh, as you know, West LA is now has uh, 57 veterinarians of, I think six months ago or so, they're doing, you know, uh, large income to say the least 40 million plus. And so that practice, I mean, grew and at least my legacy continued. Okay. And then the other practice I had, so back in about 2009 or so, when I met Ivan, he came to a practice that I put together where I purchased five practices in Chico, California, merged them and built a new facility there with a hundred thousand people and that I sold to VCA and that is still growing and still doing well. I have uh, three uh, children basically there at that practice, Valley Oak and, and Chico. And so <clears throat> both of those practices have done very well under the tutelage of, uh, of VCA. And so that makes me proud. And, and I can, you know, I speak to colleagues, you know, practice in Rancho Cucamonga, Chris Burge practice, uh, 
has six veterinarians. They're down to one now, maybe, you know, and it just, it's just very disconcerting to me to see that happen. And fortunately, it didn't happen to my practices. You know, these practices flourished. And, you know, I stayed around West LA for five years to make certain that was the case, that they, that was in good hands and that they could do what they, uh, they wanted to do. And they did, like I say, they did a fantastic job with it. So, so what do you think is happening? Why the, cause you would think that corporate has a lot of resources and then they have consolidated services where they could provide better training, better, you know, HR things like benefits, better, better everything. Because as an individual veterinarian, you can't afford things. And then as a group, you can really double down on a lot of things. You can optimize the workflow. You can centralize things. Why there is a trend that veterinarians do not want to work for the corporate practices? Well, I, I tell you, and uh, I can't blame them that they don't want to because there is no, you know, <clears throat> with, with West LA and with Valley Oak, you know, there was always someone present that had an ownership responsibility there. And so they can could continue with uh, the quality of services and the continuity of care and all those things that uh, that I believe in. I implemented all my practices have been 24 hours, seven day a week practices, uh, larger practices, <clears throat> hybrid type of model and uh, with specialists, et cetera, and surgeons and that. And, uh, but yeah, I think that if you don't have a good culture, you know, and, and they don't, you know, most of these, these consolidators, there's not a lot of culture there in these practices. The veterinarians leave and these younger veterinarians are there alone by themselves and, and without that culture, that's important to that practice, I think. So, you know, Ivan, you've seen a lot too, you know, you know, so, you know, you, uh, <laughs> you, you, you've been in the midst of all of this and, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, very disconcerting to me to see it what's happening okay with this and with what's happening you know <clears throat> they're just uh, like i say they're just arbitraging these practices and and i think that's a, a fallacy yeah. you know instead of putting the work and the effort and making the practice efficient you know it's like vcas on the same computer system you know they have a you know standardized chart of accounts you know for all the practices and the same uh, service codes and all these things so they put the work and effort into making these practices much more efficient. So, so you have a pretty unique um, track record of the hospitals and how you run them. You're playing in the field of not just GP, not ER per se, but you like 24-7 practices with a hybrid model. Can you open up a little bit of on why do you think that's the best mix? Well, and, well uh, and what you know, yeah, I'd be more than happy to. I, I take it from me personally as a client. You know, what would I be looking for in a practice? One is, I, I, you know, as you know, I've always said, you know, that, that disease and trauma doesn't make appointments. You got to be available. Okay, so West LA, Valley Oak, and some of these larger practices I had, Asher up and running, have been basically walk-in or urgent care, they call it now, you know, practices. And the reason I did that was uh, multifold. I, I started that with West LA. And the reason I did is because, as you know, in California, you don't have a covenant not to compete. Okay. And so if you go to Sepulveda Boulevard, there's probably, you know, within a mile, there's probably eight practices. They're all right next door. I own three practices on the same street at one time. And, uh, and, uh, so what happened is none of those veterinarians spoke to each other because they all broke off from each other and started up their own practice. Okay. And I so saw, I was determined that that wasn't going to happen. And so I didn't want to identify a name 
okay, to my practice, you know, <clears throat> and uh, unless there was ownership involved, like Dr. Gephardt, Dr. Savage, uh, you know, etc. And I made partners with a lot of these of, of the, the specialists that we had just to retain them and have a covenant if, if they left, they would have to, we'd have to buy their, their shares, that, that type of thing. So, and I continue that throughout, but, but also, you know, <clears throat> the problem that you get into is, is continuity of care. I've had smaller practices like in, in uh, the Central Valley. And the difficulty is that, you know, you've got to refer cases out for, for 24 hour care or to the emergency service and to, I mean, there in Chico, we, they see 10, 15, 20 transfers a day from other practices. And so that continuity of care is extremely important. And with a hybrid model you have there, and you have the best of both worlds because you can give high quality care because you have the specialists, okay, that elevates the practice to the most patients, okay? And you have the continuity of care. You don't have to schlep animals back and forth you know, between the emergency group and the, the general practice and the specialists, you know, and things get lost in those, uh, in the translation frequently. So, I mean, that happens all the time, you know, it, uh, in a smaller practice, it goes to the referrals uh, to the emergency service. Uh, it, it's a patient of yours and they end up euthanizing it, you know, <laughs> and it, you know, it's, 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 it's not a good thing. I don't think so. That That's why I like that model. I just think, uh, and so the quality of care is a step up and, and yet you can deliver reasonable price care. You know, the other thing I did is I, I did a lot of clinics, you know, we had vaccine clinics, you know, where we could reduce the prices and run it very inefficiently for a day, a month, you know, and uh, cut the prices in half and yet be extremely profitable on those days, you know, and I've done that in multiple, multiple practices. And, and I think sometimes, you know, the, as, as everyone knows, you know, the pricing is getting out of hand. You know, you can't do pathology because it's too expensive. You know, who, who's going to spend $450, $600 for pathology? The fecals are $120. You know, it's, it's amazing. And uh, so there's a lot of pushback, you know, on, on these prices. And, and the other problem I think that you get into is, you know, after we have inflation, uh, you know, whatever it was in the, in the medical industry, you know, a lot of these consolidators, you know, increase their, their prices 25% without any transparency, you know, and so you're not, it's a very emotional thing, you know, it's, it's a emotional industry. And, and so that's why they don't get buy-in, they don't get pushed, and they get pushback because it's not transparent. No one understands how it comes about. And that's how I got into the fee analytics, you know, because I wanted transparency. I wanted people to be able to see how prices come together. And uh, that that's what we do with fee analytics. So you also entertained the uh, the I, th I remember we were talking about. I don't know if that's something that you did apply or not, but the uh, change in the pricing based on the time of the day. That's not that everybody does that, but I think that we talked about it at some point. Is that something that you practically done in any of the hospitals? Yeah, I did that uh, uh, there at Valley Oak because, uh, you know, at nine o'clock at night. You know, the time of the day, the day of the week, I mean, your expenses are greater on Saturday, Sundays, you, you know, to entice people to work those days frequently, you got to, you got to uh, pay more. And the same with evening hours as that. So having variable uh, pricing and dynamic pricing, I think is really important. So we changed the, the prices by the time of day and we built that into the, the software. We were using Stringsoft at the time. And uh, so we can build that in. You know, our fee analysis is both basically a cost 
analysis. You know, what does it cost to provide these services and that? And so you get some better, you get better understanding with it. And that's, that's a whole other subject we can get into. And uh, with what we put together, I think you saw it, it, it shows transparency. You can take a look at a price and know how it's constructed. Yeah. So, and then we put how a little... do people react to pricing based on the time of the day? Do, does that motivate people to come during the less busy hours to save a little oh, bit? Oh, money yeah, and... yeah, exactly. You certainly can. You know, so there's a lot of strategies you could employ that we can employ because our software doesn't support that. You know, so you know you could have you know early mornings or middle of the day or whatever when things are slow, where you could maybe you know change your pricing and that. A little bit yeah and, and like i say it's a cost-based uh pricing model that we have and so your your costs increase in the evening but the demand is is you know is overwhelming you know for these and services. you see analytics they basically the, the way i understand it it converts essentially the time of the professionals that spend on doing the procedures not only there's cogs on the on the consumables, but the then the time becomes calculated consumable per procedure, and you almost make it a cost of goods um, from the uh, staffing cost. Is that how I understand? Yeah, it? yeah. So, so yeah. So it's it's based upon time, if, uh, on the technician time, the doctor time, uh, and then we add on the consumable. So we know what it costs us for a veterinarian per minute and the RVT per minute. And because of the cost analysis and the time and motion studies we did, we know how much productivity and uh, time the veterinarians and technicians are putting in on the procedure side, on the backside of things. And so the productivity is, is you know, uh, AHA says veterinary productivity is about 50%. And that's what we see in our models, about 50%. You know, so we can improve that productivity dramatically by adding scribes or technicians or whatever we're going to do to become more efficient and more productive. And then we add in a uh, the cost of equipment. So we factor that in. Leasehold improvements are all factored in. Uh, on the consumables, wastage is factored in. So it's really, really a, a, a great model. <clears throat> I've got a new partner uh, with this who you haven't met, who you will be meeting is uh, Simon Starkey. He's a DVM, uh, MBA, PhD epidemiologist, and he was actually doing a pricing model, something similar to what I was doing. We got together, and uh, so he's going to be actively involved. He's an epidemiologist, so he's got the mindset for, you know. So, he's got so the chops to dig He's through, got, he's got the, the chops, chops, exactly. He's got <laughs> the chops. So, you know, it'll be in good hands, you know. I'm at this point in my life that that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to pass down whatever I can to the next generations. So that's important to me. You know, this profession has been just well, that's a, fantastic. That's actually a perfect segue into a question that we like to ask all of our guests. We always like to ask everyone, what is a book that you would recommend that other people read to uh, gain some of the similar insights and, and thought processes like you've had? I used to read documentation, okay? You know, the UI interface and everything and computers, you know, and all that. So that that was my my reading. So, you know, so, you know, what I've been reading is the, the AHA books on fees and, and, and productivity and that. And so that's, that's what I'm interested in is the metrics of this. I, I would suggest also, you know, I'm involved with uh, Terry Fawson, who's, as you know, the board of surgeon who wrote the small animal surgery textbook. And, uh, and we have a supplement company, but we have some good webinars on there that everyone I think should be, should look at. Uh, I'm a big advocate of CBD has done a lot of 
a lot of great things for myself personally, but uh, also I've seen it in a lot of animals. But any of that, those there's some great webinars there that people could take, and it's, they're free. But you can learn about CBD, cognitive issues, and and, and dogs and that. So yeah, awesome. So. Well, we'll we'll uh, attach the links in the in the show notes. And uh, uh, Dr. Gephardt, as usual, very very happy to see you. Uh, last five initiatives that you had. Every time you told me this is the last one that I'm going to pull off, and it's been uh, now ten years <laughs> that I'm you, and every year it's the last one. So I'm can't yeah to- yeah. Well, it's, you know, I'm I'm so healthy. I've unfortunately enough, you know. Maybe and, that's all that uh, CBD. <laughs> yeah. Well, it could be. It could be. So for certain. For certain. Alrighty, guys. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you again for coming on, and and this is wonderful. Thank you so much for listening to Consolidate That. If you want to hear our new episodes, please find us on any podcast platform. Also, you can learn more about us on our website at galaxyvets.com.